Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's season two of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Greg Koch. We're having a lot of fun. Got a bunch of great guests lined up. We're talking about guitars. Sometimes we talk about food. Sometimes we talk about aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just having a good old time. We're chewing the gristle for pity's sake. You know, and gristle is where fat meets flavor. This week on Chewing the Gristle, we've got my buddy Gil Paris, Grammy-nominated New York guitar player of doom. You've seen him with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and Dr. John, and Diane Shore. He does a bunch of gigs with Bernie Williams, who's an excellent guitar player as well. Of course, a baseball legend. He's also a fellow Reverend Guitar signature artist. Let's have some fun Chewing the Gristle with Gil Paris. Come on, y'all! Great googly moogly, ladies and gentlemen. Another installment of Chewing the Gristle. Greg Koch here with my good buddy Gil Paris, a masterful guitar player. Playing with uh, our buddies Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And, of course, Bernie Williams he's been doing some stuff with. But as a fusionsman, you have been with, like, everyone you could possibly imagine. And your chops and your tone and your doggone night choices. Night choices. I'm a little tongue-tied this morning, Gil. It's a little unusual. I'm going to get a little bit more coffee in me, and then I'll be flowing a little bit more. But how the heck are you? What's going on? I'm good. I, You know, it's it's been too long talking to you. And uh, seeing you is another thing. I mean, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's... But well, yeah, we've I'm, we've had some great times together. You know, the first time we actually hung out was out at Wildwood doing some some videos together with uh, our Reverend compatriots. But it's been real fun to get to know you more and do some other playing. We've done some gigs together with the band, yeah. and uh, it's just been fantastic to to uh, get to know you and to play and all that other kind of stuff. So let's get a little Same. let's just get a little lowdown of what you've been doing as of late because it's been fascinating doing these interviews with people or chats throughout this COVID era, if you will, finding out what people are doing as musicians to keep sane and solvent and all that other kind of stuff. So yeah, what what you've been it, up to? You know, yeah, I, I don't want to be the guy that says I've been busy because you know, I don't want to get hated. But well, no, I, I think I, I think a lot of people have found ways to get stuff done. So feel free, feel free to say it like it is. You know, um, I did a lot of like product demo like shows. I did some here at home, like for Tonewood Amp. You know, um, right? It's a great product, and uh, I did some solo shows. And then Bernie and I did some things for the Nam Foundation. So we would put on these concerts and, you know, two of us in masks and <laughs> right. we, were, we were shooting shows. And now, um, like just recently, I did some stuff for Taylor, you know, with our friend Tim Godwin and uh, uh, Alex Skolnick and I shot a bunch of duets. Cool. So uh, we went around to uh, Rudy's and Soho and, uh, and the Music Den in Jersey. And so, uh, you know the live stuff's coming back, but also, you know, doing stuff for product companies. And then I've been shooting instructional videos. So, right. uh, you know, that's a whole other thing. Well, the internet certainly has, has helped us all during this yeah. strange time. Not a huge fan, but yes, <laughs> yeah. in some ways, you know, I, you know how I am with that. It's like a double-edged sword. You know, it is. Where, it, it's, yeah. 
You know, it just kind of it just kind of is what it is, right? I mean, it's like you know, it, it, there's just so much about music and the way that it's perceived, consumed, learned, distributed, all that kind of stuff that's so different from the way that we perceived it growing up as like the as the uh, the goal. And, um, right. and it, it's just so it's odd, but you know, you, I, we weird things like pandemics and, you know, weird industry shifts and whatnot else. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a little room in your house that's orange and, and playing, you know, a bunch of variety of different things on the inner Google. It's, 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 it's very, very odd. Yeah. Well, you definitely have to diversify these days, as you know, you know, very well. Um, but I do, I do miss some of the old days where, I mean, I guess it was more of an elitist business, but there was budgets to make records and, right, you know, and there were, there were audiences like built in from that. You know, I, I do kind of miss that. Now there's so many releases. I mean, we're, I, I read somewhere there's like 35,000 songs released a day. <laughs> it's uh, like, absolutely. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, how, uh, it's not going to make the same amount of money it used to. Recorded music. Well, absolutely. You know? And and to that end, too, the double-edged sword is, is that uh, because of the Internet, you can kind of micro-focus your stuff to your fan base. Right. So, so you can, in fact, you know, let them know when your release is coming out. And so, as I like to say, you don't need to sell a million. You just need to sell enough. By the That's same right. token, it gets in the larger picture, unless you have that focused group that you can reach the things you have to do to reach that larger audience. That's where all it just gets lost in the noise of of uh, everyone putting stuff out, everyone leveraging and elbowing out with whatever ways that they have to spend money in order to get things noticed in various different places. And then still it's hard to get people to care. But uh, right. I'm not going to complain because the former has been working for me. The latter <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> yeah, no, I know what you're saying, uh, of course. Um, but I still there's still checks coming in from the old days for me, sure. you know, where it, and there were things that it wasn't about sales. There were still mechanical royalties and stuff that couldn't be recouped, you know. So, like, in other words, you would get money right out of the gate. Sure. You know, so. And, um, you know, the players, the generation before me did very well with that, you know, um, especially players that uh, you know, I went into the smooth, the taboo word, smooth format for a while. Right. Because it was a viable thing. You know, right. viable. absolutely. And, uh, you know, we would get airplane money. We would get uh, budgets for the records. And then there was an audience built in for that. So players like. Jeff Golub and Chuck Loeb and marvelous players, they would they would have careers like making instrumental guitar records. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And you know, and um now that's just not available. This is so true. It, you know, and uh it's different. So I kind of caught the tail end of it, so I still have some of that good stuff. But uh, you know, it's definitely different. So are are you from New York? Or are you from the, the area or did you move there? Yeah, I was born in the Bronx. Yep. Yep. And in growing up, what what kind of got you into music per se? Was it a different type of music you were into initially or what was your initial uh, impetus for playing? Yeah, my my folks, um, 
my father was an actor and my folks wanted me to kind of take an intro. I was really into baseball, um, which is funny with Bernie being my best friend. Now. <laughs> you know, It's really weird. I always make the joke that because he started out at third base and so did I. And that's where our sports similarities end. (laughs) (laughs) I was just telling my wife the other day that I started at third base when I was in middle school. And that's as far as I went. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, so at eight and after my first lesson, I just I didn't want to do anything else. And I'm sure you kind of you must have felt the same way. Right. Because we've been we've both been playing about the same amount of years. Right. Around where it's and. Um, it's unbelievable. It's funny. Uh, this song about music, it's like, you always feel like you're starting out. Like you're always like looking for that, that next lick, that next chord, that next, yes. it, it keeps you young, you know, it's like, uh, well, you never get bored. No, no, it's never. I mean, it's if, uh, you know, you know how it is. If you're in a situation where, okay, what are we going to do tonight? Well, I don't know. So-and-so wants to watch this on the TV tonight. I really don't want to watch that. Well, I'm going to bed. And, and then there you are by yourself. And you're like, okay, I think I'll just maybe play along with records or learn a new tune. or <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to steal a phrase from Greg. That's a- <laughs> Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Lord have mercy. You know. I was watching some uh, your jam videos on on YouTube where they put together with different players and stuff like that. Yeah. How did that all come about? And was was that kind of a cool thing for you? It seems like they're they were they're, they sounded awesome and looked great. And well, how did those yeah. all kind of come to fruition? When when I got in on that, that show was on BET and it was actually the most watched show on BET at the time. So it was it was very popular. There's a version of me doing like Caravan and. Um, that's that's a real good one. Um, but uh, I guess at the time, a publicist recommended me to them. And then we we shot a bunch. And Tom Emmy, the producer, we kind of hit it off. So I became like the most recorded guitarist for those shows that they they have to date. Awesome. I think I've, I think I've done, you know, probably upwards to like 100 songs and played at least seven, eight shows. You know, um, and in their different locations, as you go to Philadelphia, you go to um, some of the studios aren't around. Uh, Syracuse, we shot in, and the players are always great. And it's, I mean, you know, it's also making new friends, which is, you know, it's part of it. You know how that is. Right. Absolutely. I'm the Gandhi of the guitar. You know, I like to bring people people together. It's, you know, it's fun. It's fun. So. Absolutely. So when, when you were growing up playing guitar, wh- was there a jazz bent to what you were doing from the get-go, or is that something you evolved in later? Definitely later. So, uh, you know, I was into rock and heavy metal and, you know, Michael Schenker. And, and you know, I still am. I love, you know, I, I love those guys and Eddie Van Halen. And I just thought, you know, I had a lot of technique. I was practicing like eight, 10 hours a day of chops. And I had this whole thing written out. It was, it was like a Jane Fonda hand workout, you know, and, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was insane. I, I think I'm surprised I could still play after all I did. And then, um, I think it was my mother said, listen, I got to get you some jazz lessons. Some, you know, and I said, all right. And, um, I think I was 13 and, the the teacher, Steve Rohn, he gave me, he was a bass player and he gave me three albums. Uh, 
it was Benson and Farrell and uh, Pat Martino exit and Roy Buchanan's second album. Okay. And and I hadn't heard any of those guys yet. So like I went home, I played this stuff and I was like, wow, I suck. Ah. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on here? Like this, you know, I heard George take the first solo and these 16 note triplets like hit me and I was like, oh my God. What is like? And uh, so I was depressed for a while and then I was inspired. So I, you know, now I think of it, everything is just one big melting pot, you know? Right. Right. So, and that's a good way to look at it. I think, you know, I, I'm sure you've probably had experiences, you know, coming from a, uh, you know, more of a rock background and getting into that stuff that, you know, occasionally you rub shoulders against people who are just like always been into jazz. That's what they're all about. And they can be very, they kind of look at, you know, people that are into rock. And I always kind of say, right. you, they see ABBA and Yes and like Hendrix and, you know, the monkeys all as the same thing. It's that right. rock, sh it's that rock <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of jazz snobbery here in New York at times. But, uh, but my favorite musicians were really kind of the guys in the studio. I was friendly with all of them because a lot of them were here. And they were open to everything. So right. when you listen to Dave Sanborn or Mike Brecker or Bob James, I mean, Bob and David played on my first album. And those guys like Harvey Mason and the guitar players like Larry Carlton, uh, Cornell Dupree, those, they right. were, they played all different kinds of styles and they right. were able to retain their personality while doing all different kinds of music. And right. I found that fascinating. You know, it wasn't this, there was no snobbery, you know, like right. I, I think David plays just as great on, um, you know, uh, David Bowie's stuff and James Taylor's stuff as he does when he's playing with Miles Davis. It's right. still, it's all music, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We were, we were, we've talked about this together before. I'm, I'm a yeah. huge, huge David Sanborn fan. Me too. And, yeah. uh, I know you've, you've said many times to folks oh. that <clears throat> you're like, well, who's your favorite, you know, blues saxophone player. You're like David Sanborn. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, it's just, it's really interesting. And, uh, and you know, uh, you know, I hear in your playing all these, when you play blues, it's not just a cliche blues, you know, and I'm sure you must've gotten a lot of that stuff from sax and piano players, obviously, yep. you know, you, you know, Absolutely. And, yeah. Listening to all of the stuff and putting yeah. it in and then, and then getting it wrong. And then something like thinking, yeah, I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. What's a half step between friends? That's exactly correct. <laughs> so did you go, did you study music formally anywhere in terms of like a school or anything or no? You know, I, I got, uh, this sort of dual scholarship to Berkeley, um, uh, but I only went for a semester because I got a gig like right when that happened. Some guys recommended me to go to Europe to do Jesus Christ Superstar. And I was gone for like three months when I was 18. I was just gone. And by the time I got back, I started making some demos and Mike Varney heard it and put me in spotlight. And right. stuff started kind of taking off at that point. So I just never went back. I always say I took a semester off and that was 30 years ago. You know? <laughs> 
Well, I do Who love that, that Jesus Christ Superstar stuff rocks, though. It was great. Killer That's... parts. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I brought a Steinberger at the time because I didn't want to travel in with anything. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So... Yeah. So how did things kind of go from there? Did you, it's always been kind of a combination of, of doing some, some sidemen stuff. And then, and then at what point was like your own thing, kind of the main thing? So I started out doing some studio dates early on, and then I was meeting a lot of people. So I formed a lot of relationships and, um, I met this guy, Steve Backer, who, uh, he's, he created the, the Brecker brothers. He signed Gato Barbieri. He signed all these, and uh, and we hit it off. And he wanted to make a record, and so I had already made some records. I um, I did a band thing. Doctor John played on it, and was in Guitar Player. All this stuff, you know. And so I was kind of getting a buzz, and I didn't want to. I sort of was like, well, I want to have my own career. You know, I want to be an artist, and so it kind of. You know, I was doing that for a while and it was a good time. And for that, um, again, as I said, for my first record, my budget was a hundred grand almost. It was close ah. to that. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. I think I made it for half that and then pocketed the rest. I was like, these are great times. You know? <laughs> so, yes. Of course, I thought that was always going to happen. But, uh, but, um, so around after making some, I made some different records. I and which I really wanted to do. I did a straight ahead jazz record, and um, I also did a live blues record, live at the next door. And uh, I just wanted to do different things. That's that's sort of like the danger of like branding and the internet now, where like you have to just do one thing. But, right. You know what I mean? Like everything, everybody wants to know what you do in two seconds. You know, and I'm going well. I like a lot of different things. And like the guys I mentioned previously, like Larry Carlton would make an acoustic album. Right. He'd make a smooth jazz record. Sure. He'd get airplay with like now if if somebody made, you know, if a blues guy, who's the kid blues player, Kingfish, if he made a smooth jazz record, it'd be like taboo, you know. Right. But he, so um, but then towards uh I guess about two thousand when you started to see uh, the internet coming in, LimeWire, and you start seeing stuff like Tower Records go under. That's when I started saying, all right, you know, um, time to start doing more Sideman stuff. And I got the gig with David Clayton Thomas and Blood, Sweat, and Tears. That was 2000, 2001. Okay. And then I went with this sax player from Tower Power, David Mann, who was a, I learned a lot from him. He was an amazing teacher, sax player. He's just incredible. Um, then I, you know, I always kind of just kept bouncing from gig to gig. I mean, back when David had a record deal, we would go play the today show, the two of us. And there was like 11 million viewers. There was a viable, you know, right. format for that stuff. And the gigs were great. So, um, we traveled to Catalina Island and travel to St. Louis and play, um, and bring the band. You could actually bring a band back then. Uh, and then I went with Bobby Caldwell, uh, and did all his East coast shows. Um, and his stuff is great. And Diane sure also, oh, so yeah, yeah. she's terrific. And, uh, used to do that. Uh, she did a version of that last with BB King and it's like, right. Harmonies, 
incredible. She's incredible. But so, yeah, I, I kind of started doing, you know, I never wanted to do the sideman thing because I want to do, I want to be an artist. I want to be an artist. I want to be Larry Carlton. I want to be, but then I said, you know, you got to diverse times change, you know, and everything I, every time I work with somebody else, I learn something, you know, sure, and absolutely. I take that with me, you know, and, uh, there's so, so much to learn, uh, or from the different guys in the band, you know, when I play with you, I learn something every time we play, there's always something that you take with you. And, uh, so it's been good. That's excellent. You know, it's interesting when you were mentioning about, I was just thinking about this the other day. It's 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 really hard to convey this in a way without sounding like a whiner. But yeah, <laughs> because I know. you know there are certain things. And and what I was thinking about was this idea of um what you were alluding to earlier about you have to stick to this one thing because people are going to form their opinion about you with like listening to you for two seconds because it seems, and, 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 and I always preface this with the fact that I am flattered and gratified and, 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 and grateful beyond means that people care about anything that I do because it could very easily be the other case where they don't care at all. So right. you have this 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 ground zero of gratitude for even being in a conversation where, you know, your creative efforts are appreciated by anybody other than your parental units, right? Yes, right. But but right. that being but that being said, it's like you realize you can't take anything for granted. Like for instance, you know, in this age of the internet. So I've had releases going back, you know, I think our first thing came out in well, we had a, like the tape that was out in 1991, and then our first CD was '93. It was out. So since between I, then, I bought like, that. I bought that. That was the one that was. Um, I was that on Steve's label or something. I can't remember. Well, it was the, the, the first one that was on Steve's label. That was in 2001, and that I was that, yeah. that was the grip, and that was kind yes. of a, a culmination of all these different of things off my previous records. So mm -hmm. up, up to that point. You know, I had like seven, eight records. So up until now, it's like 18 or so, uh, which, you know, and I've always tried to do different things. And there's a few tunes that I've done over in the past. But for the most part, it's all different stuff, trying to do different things, always trying to push this, that, the next thing. And uh, and then you realize that, you know, like I reissued the grip. And, yep. and the people that put it up online, you know, when you do it through CD Baby or whatever, it says released 2020, right? Right. Right. And and this vast majority of people going, I oh, man, I, that new record of yours is, <laughs> yeah. is really is really something. And I'm like, um, well, thanks, but that's actually uh, well, that's from 2001, and it was actually from way before that. But you know, I'm I'm gratified, and and you know, you like it, great. But then you realize, okay, well, now I can't control the dates of when the stuff actually came out. So you know, and, right. and you you try so hard to have some kind of continuity. continuity. To yeah. the vision, right? Yep. And then you uh -huh. get to the point where I th I made the erroneous thing over the years of going, oh, okay, well, I have this Greg Cock and the Tone Controls band. Well, that's this particular squad. Greg Cock could be me and whoever else. Greg Cock band, well, that's these guys. Uh, Cock right. Marshall Trio, that's this band, right? And all of a sudden, you get in the world of CD Baby and Spotify and wanting to have as many subscribers as possible. Well, then you want it under one umbrella. Well, you can't have it because now you've got all of these different tangential things. So now I'm having to redo the artwork on all these recordings yeah. to just say Greg Cox so that when it's all said and done, I can have all of this stuff under one umbrella and then pimp that to get as many people to follow that as possible. 
And and then, of course, you have to just let people know that you, you've got stuff out. So, again, I don't want to sound these, like I'm whinding, but it's just, you are, know. These are bad times for OCD guitarists. <laughs> it's, it's very, you know, it's, it, <laughs> you know how that is. Absolutely. You know? But, you know, you go, I mean, the, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. It's like, you know, I, I dropped by a place the other the other night and I. I had a long day. I was doing studio stuff. I'm in shorts and I'm, you know, I had my signature guitar and I got out and I played, got up with the band and, you know, I would never wear shorts, but here it is. It's like, then it's on the internet. It's like, right. it's, yeah, what control do you have? You know, you have, you have no control. Total anarchy. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it's okay. You know, sometimes you get surprised and it, I think you have to take everything with a grain of salt now. And, uh, you know, it, it's not going to be perfect. It's sort of like, you know, in our lifetime, this is what we're, we're going to be dealt with. Who knows? Exactly. And again, you're you're pleased that anyone cares, you know? Right. And, and that whole thing. And, and uh, but it's just, it's just, I just remember obsessing about, you know, song order and, and how this record differs. Yeah. And, and now it's all like, if people might hear something that you did in 1998 and think that's the only thing you've ever done. They might not even make the effort, but I guess... I, it, you can't, I you know. can't blame him. I, I, yeah, the thing I did in 98, so I was very into Eric Gale at the time. The, oh, oh, yeah, stuff. I love them. Love Eric Gale, and, yep. And he had a, and, he had, and I, I always used to try to imitate his fast vibrato. And, and, and sometimes, you know, there's certain tracks where, like, I got a lot of control. But now I listen back and I go, ah, oh, and then people are going to think that's how I play. But that's how I played in 98. You exactly, know? exactly. You know, it's funny. And there's certain... Yeah, but you can't. I don't know. It's it's kind of funny. But, in, uh, in a way, it's probably good because it teaches us that you know you're 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 never really in control anyway. <laughs> right, that is true. Well, you know, the sax player Dave Lieben said he goes, "You have to look at your career as a whole, and really, you can't analyze everything. You know, that there's going to be morsels that are great, and you know, right." But, uh, well, so. it, and, and if someone listens to one thing that really meant something to them, I guess, what? how can you possibly complain about the fact? Totally. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's just yeah. one of those things. But it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I've got one of your signature guitar here, one of the, one of the new reverends, and uh, yes. I love it. It's fa fantastic. It, it's incredible. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy. And uh, I think we're we're doing great. So that's it's kind of nice. And a uh, Absolutely. You know? Um, I, I guess they caved and gave me an S body, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I love some of the older ones though. I kept the four mica one, like the early yep. I, with the P nineties. I had to like, I can't part with that. And then I have prototype number one here that, uh, I, and, and I love it. I, I, you know, I probably play this guitar the most. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I'm very, uh, yeah, very happy with this. Now, what do you, what have you been using for amplification these days? If you do a, do you, when you fly in, you just kind of say, I'll bring my pedal board and use whatever as a clean format. But if you're at home, what, what do you usually, or in New York, is it a situation where if you're doing clubs, you don't, you use the gear that oh. they have there? Or how does it work? Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to do Burke's Jazz Festival and I'm going to use the Amp Du Jour, which will probably be hopefully a decent twin. Right. You know, hopefully we're, I usually have them bring two and then we'll pick and choose. But, um, I use 
these Randalls that are about 35 years old. I have, Aha. I have about eight of them. They're transistor, but I run two of them together and they just, they have a thing that with the Celestians, they handle pedals very well. And uh, you would be surprised hearing these things up close. Like you can't, um, and some people have written in forums saying like, you know, how does he get a Dumble S cone from this like shitty rig, you know, but right. uh, I, there's this guy, Gary Sunda, uh, created these for a few years. There was a period of in the eighties, uh, he used to work for Fender and, uh, I like the way their voice, they sound really good. They're very punchy, you know? And, uh, so I tend to use those and I use tech 21 stuff, uh, I just shot those instructional videos. I went direct out of my Tech 21 trademark 60, and it sounds great, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I used a Klon Centaur that Bill Finnegan gave me when he first started the company. Oh it's no, a, kidding. Yeah, now that I, I see his handwritten note, you know, and it's now the things are like thirty five hundred dollars. That's so go. crazy. It's insane, but it does sound great. I will say, Bill's. That's something. It's a great pedal, you know. So when you were coming up and kind of getting your chops together and so on and so forth, other than, the, you know, the guys that you mentioned, which are some of my faves as well. I mean, uh, I love that early stuff stuff, yeah. you know, uh, right with Eric Gale and Cornell Dupree. And of course, you know, Larry Carlton. Um, and, but the, you know, there was some, I got hip to this guy the other day and, uh, I don't know why I'd never heard of him before. Uh, but I kind of went down the deep rabbit hole and, and was fascinated by, you know, how it could have been that I hadn't heard of this guy. This, um, and he's on some of those recordings, uh, of that same series that you did the jam thing. His name is, uh, Jeff Lee Johnson. Did you oh, know right. him? Did you know him away. at all? He yeah, he did. Away. Yeah. Yeah, he was a very like intuitive, funky player. I think he worked with yeah, he worked with George Duke. Um, yes, exactly. His his rhythm stuff was badass, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, but no, I didn't I didn't know him. He had passed. Um, and I think it's been a while now. Um, yeah, apparently, like 2013, I, I was talking to uh, my buddy Joe Mass down in uh, in Philly yesterday. Called him, I go. Did you know this guy? And he's like, I did a record with that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he kind of told me the story. But uh, you know, the New York just seems to be such a cool. I mean, he was from Philly, but obviously, you know, played up in New York a bunch. And uh, I guess he was in the Letterman band for a minute. But you know, and then you got Hiram Bullock, and you got all these yeah. cats that are around. You know, Mike Stern sure. and Schofield yeah. and all these dudes. And so, what was that like to be around? You know, including you know, you're right up there with all these guys. You, how hard is it not to well I shouldn't say how hard is it not to but how how hard is it to find your unique voice amongst this this group of these individuals all kind of vying for the same space or wasn't it really like that per well se? we all know each other every like you know so uh you know like when I just told you we did some duets Alex Skolnick and I and yeah, he's fabulous I, as well. I knew Alex like i he would come see me play. I'd go see him play like 20 years ago, you know, and um, and then we didn't see each other for like a decade. But that's the way New York is. You just kind of pick up where you left off because there's, right. there's a lot of work here. And um, and I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's like 
there's almost like no stars. Like we're all we're all just working, doing our thing. You know, it's um, you know, uh, it, it's a great like melting pot. You know, and um, and again, everybody kind of knows already. There's different circles, some you know, but um, they they usually intertwine. You know, um, of course, there's like the blues scene, the jazz scene, but we all kind of know each other. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, I know with, I mean, prior to COVID, but now it's kind of coming back a bit, but, you know, God knows what'll happen with the, you know, the variant and yeah. whatnot, things going on that are kind of spinning out of control. But um, yes, uh, prior to that, how much gigging did you do? And is, is there, is it, is it kind of one of these situations where in a place like New York, as, I, as I'm realizing about anywhere, is that you find these private parties where people have this immense amount of money that are yeah, willing to well, spend on music. How, you know, how much, you know, of club gigs versus... Yeah, I didn't get any of that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no uh, so I was subbing, I literally, I started doing the 55 bar. I was young and somehow I got in there and they would always call me when Mike Stern couldn't make it. So like I was there and that was back when you'd look out and you'd see like little red lights from the tape recorders, you know? So right. there must be people who have like hundreds of my shows out there because they'd be recording shows. But I met a ton of people there and played with some great people. And um, there were like little pockets. And then there's also places that were not as popular as known as like BB Kings and Iridium and the Blue Note, which, you know, of course I've done all those rooms, but there were other rooms like this place Metropolitan or uh, Canyon Road, or like you'd start little pocket scenes and players would just show up. I mean, I remember these Tuesday nights and we'd be playing and Randy Brecker would be there and Will Lee and uh, Hugh McCracken was hanging out, the late great guitar player, David Spinoza. It was like, there was a great scene, like, um, and there's there was tons of work. It's not the nook and cranny places have kind of washed up a little bit compared to the way they were, you know. But uh, I was gigging all the time, you know, like right, 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 crazy, yeah. So, so talk a little bit about if you would when you hooked up with Bernie, and you know, I yeah, we did that show together uh, in in uh, in St. Paul. And, and of course it was, was a blast playing. It was great. But I was astounded when he did that little solo thing of take me out to the ballpark. I mean, that is like, that arrangement is unbelievably great. Yeah. It's, it's very, you know, that's the, for me, I always think about what makes music and art great. And I feel like it's two things. It's, it's something that's highly personal and highly developed. It doesn't so. And if you think about it, everybody, I, you know, whether it's B.B. King or it's Michael Brecker or whoever, it's it's highly personal and it's highly developed. And when Bernie plays that, that's, you know, I was there when he was working that arrangement out. He would play for me every day. Here, I added this here. And it, it's coming from so it could only come from him like that. You know, right. It's a very personal and it's a very highly developed arrangement. That's why, um, and it's a little morose. I, I really, I love it. So yeah, and um, and our friendship has been, yeah, great. I mean, it's almost been 20 years. I met him, he was still playing. I'd keep him out all night, and then he'd go to a doubleheader. <laughs> Good God, how's that yeah. even possible? 
Well, he missed the first game, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's going to kill me for telling him that. But, you know, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, we're playing tomorrow. We, we just booked a great show. Um, we're playing October 22nd uh, in, uh, I think it's Maplewood, New Jersey, at this great hall. And uh, Josh Dion, great singer drummer, is with us. And um, so. We'll see. We'll see. That's going to be a good show coming up. Excellent. Sounds like fun. Well, hopefully we can get together one of these days and do some more stuff now that things are, well, again, you know, hopefully as, as pestilence subsides, we yes. can, we can do some stuff. We, we're starting to book a few things and, uh, and we got this thing booked in the fall. You know, I've talked about this a few times on these, on these chats, because obviously it's this, it's the subject du jour, but it seemed like, you know, like in April, uh, in May, early May, people are talking, well, maybe in the fall mm-hmm. we'll start to do stuff. And then it's like someone hit a light, sw- light switch and said, yeah, screw it, everything's on. And you're like, what? And the next thing you know, people are doing gigs, here, hither and yon, and, and I'm still kind of scratching myself, is this really happening? And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at my trip in the fall in, in November, which we had booked the previous year, and then we just folded it over to the next year in hopes it would happen in Europe. And I'm thinking, in the first part of the year, I'm thinking, there's no way it's going to happen. And then all of yeah. a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, it's for sure going to happen. And now <laughs> I'm thinking, it may not happen again. It may it's- not. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm I'm playing It's in 10 days. I'm doing the Birch Jazz Festival. And uh, it, it's a big band gig. Very challenging. It's uh, Randy Brecker and Eric Marienthal and uh, Gerald Albright and uh, Brian Bromberg, the great bass player. Yeah. So, and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, what the turnout's going to be like and what the whole, because it's a big band. We're all going to be on stage. It's like, I don't know. It's, I hope, you know, I, I hope the vibe is cool. Um, it's, I can tell you, it's going to be, the musicians are amazing. It's like probably the best band that's going to be playing all at once at that time anywhere. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's incredible. But, uh, you know, we'll see. we'll see. So for a gig like that, is that all all charts and you're going to read it down? Or do you, uh, get them, you get them in advance or how does it? I, yeah. Well, I got, uh, I got, I think, 15 of them in advance. And I'll, I'll send you a picture. It's it's a daunting task because, you know, sure we're, guitar, we're guitar players, you know. Right. <laughs> These horn guys don't understand, you know, these piano players, they have their one middle C and then, you know, we have like three of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, you know, and that was actually, uh, Chuck Loeb's gig, rest in peace. So, um, you know, I'm definitely keeping him in mind while, while going over this stuff and giving the extra mile, but yeah, that's how it's a lot of reading. Yeah. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout-out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. And our, with stuff like that, with big band charts like that, is, is it predominantly... 
you know, chord symbols with some kicks written in and then a, a, a few unison lines with the horns or and then solo here or how are those charts just look like spaghetti? Yeah, there's some there's some spaghetti moments. Yeah, especially on, you know, Brian's thing is like a unison fusion thing and a lot of call and response. And then with some of the um, like Rick Braun is singing a tune and all the chords are written out. So oh, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I'm like, can a brother get a chord symbol above this? Right. <laughs> because you're, you're like, uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow the arrangers, they don't understand that. God, you know. No, they think, <laughs> oh, just read it down. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. You know, and I, I listen, you know, I know Tommy Tedesco could do it. Rest in peace. But uh, and there's some cats here in New York that you know could read fly shit, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I, I'm the. Same. I remember when I was in. <clears throat> I've told the story a few times. When I was in uh, college uh, in, in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, one of, one of the ways that a lot of people would make a living in the Midwest would they migrate to Chicago, which at that particular point in time was one of the huge hubs of the advertising industry. So there was you could make a pretty good living as a jingle musician by day and then do whatever you wanted to do at night. Right. And, and so um, I remember them saying, you know, well, down in Chicago, when they read down a chart once before they hit the recording light, it's not to make sure you can play it. It's to make sure the notes are right on the page. Like, oh, my God, oh, you know, God. It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like, oh, my God, you got to have these unbelievable. And then I got a, I remember my first call to be down at a, a session down in Chicago. I'm shitting bricks because I figure it's going to yeah. be it's going to be that, you know. And I get down there, and I remember it was like all these different people were in on this session. It was a who, and and I knew one of the other guys. He's like, "Do you know? You all know who's in this room?" I go, "I don't want to know. I'm going to shit in my pants as it is." Right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I realized that you know, it was one of those things where there were guys they brought in for flavor, and that there were guys that they brought in to read like specific parts. And there were you know, it's like you know, okay, well, on this particular take, I want you to do what he's doing, and you'd I'd woodshed the thing within like the, the thirty seconds or a minute that it took before he went into the other room, you know. To, and so it was that. And so years later went by, and I'm and I'm talking to him, not to not to name drop, but I'm talking to uh, Lukather because I no, wanted I to know. I knew you were going to say Luke because I, 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 you know. Yeah, because uh, I wanted to get his perspective. Because obviously he did a gajillion sessions, and yes. it was so gratifying to hear him say, "No, no, 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 no." He goes, "There were guys they brought in to do uh, the secret sauce stuff, like me. If they wanted stuff right. to be written, like they'd call Tommy Tedesco for that shit." Right. And he goes, "They were the guys that were the readers, and that were the guys that we could we knew our way around a chart, but they brought us in to add what our stylistic nuances to the recording." And I was like, "Oh, thank God." Yeah, no, I, <laughs> Not, I hear you. I, I hear you. I kind of ride both. I mean, I, I have to. For me, it's uh, it's like eating your vegetables, you know, eating your right. meaties, <laughs> you know. Right, right, right. But, um, yeah. No, I have some horror stories. I remember doing a, a commercial date, and the guy said, oh, do you read? You know, we call it, it's a union thing, and we, we got in there. And I was next to Francisco Santano. The, he's a great bass player. Um And we sit down, and they put this six-page thing in front of oh. us. And, with no music, it's just like a click. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> right. Yeah. Horrifying. And he's sweating. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, anyway, <laughs> he, he helped get me through. But I thought, I got out of there with a migraine like five hours later. Uh, it was. 
it, it could be terrifying. I mean, I was so lucky that when I started to do those sessions, it was in, well, first of all, I'm, I'm sure you're the same. As soon as I get a chart, I'm scanning it for the single note stuff. Because, you know, yeah. nine times yeah. out of ten as guitar players, they're chord symbols over hash marks with an occasional, you know, yeah. particular rhythm written out, right? Yeah. And so scanning the chart for the single note stuff and immediately try to woodshed it a little bit. But yeah. then they'll play the demo. And then you're like, well, shit. What I, what I can't read or what would, would have been a little bit sketchy to read without a chart, now I totally hear what it is and we're done. So I was, you know, the sessions that when I was doing it as a major part of my, you know, or a, a good ancillary part of my income, uh, right. luckily, it, you know, my, my college, um, which I was always getting in trouble for not being a good reader because I just didn't, I just wanted to play. You know, I was like, ah, charts. Well, and, yeah. But it worked. Uh, of course. Well, let me put it this way. I sent Robin Ford my double stop guidebook for uh, Mel Bay. And uh, and we I opened some shows for him in New York after that. And he said, Gil, why'd you send me this thing with all these dots? I don't read it all. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was like, oh, that's really funny. You know, he played with the Yellow Jackets and Miles Davis. And he one of the best players of all time. Right. And, uh, but, and if you think about it, I mean, right, it's uh, Al Farlow and George Benson and then Alan Holdsworth. Those guys didn't read a lick and they're genius players. So it, it's, you know, but next subject. <laughs> yes, it is fascinating, though. I mean, I, I was glad I got to the point where I could actually write it, you know, as you're talking about, from an instructional point of view, I was able to write the stuff down. And it, at first it was terrifying. But, you know, uh, it, it was, it's one of those things where... Um, you know, I was uh, uh, was watching this thing on uh, online, uh, Randy Bachman interview, and he was talking about you know someone calling up and saying, "Do you read?" Of course we do. It's like you can never say no when when people right. call. I mean, you can, but you know, you're like most of the time you just say yes and figure it out from there. Yes. And um, you know, and with with the reading stuff, I just when I went to school for music, it's like I, you know, I figured a degree wasn't probably gonna you know wasn't going to be the thing that would get me a job unless I was going to be a, a school teacher, music school teacher or something like that. But exactly. I, w- I wanted to at least be conversant in, in being able to write the stuff down. But, you know, a couple few years went by and I, other than reading some charts here and there and maybe writing a couple charts for band members when, you know, stuff was, you know, lines were a little hairy or whatever, <clears throat> I was really out of practice. And then, you know, the Hal Leonard folks are like, hey, we want you to write this book. Can you do it? Absolutely. And so... Next thing you know, you know, you're, you've got these, how do you notate, you know, a bend uh, where I bend one note and hold one, you know, you just, you just do the homework and do it. uh, Did you see this? Yes. Uh, Modern blues guitar. This is 20 years old now. Uh, Arlen Roth. um, Dave Whitehill did the transcription. I don't know if you know David Whitehill, but he's an amazing transcription guy. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, that would have been a daunting task for me to write out every, you know, uh, forget it, you know, and, uh, and on my true, true fire stuff, all the true fire videos, they, they have that stuff transcribed, right. you know, I, I do the playing and the examples and, but, um, and I'm, I'm just coming out with a whole new, uh, Thing, uh, chromatic line shapes and moves you must know i'm very into the chromatic thinking and uh but i'm putting that out myself and that'll be on um on my own website coming out in the fall nice uh I, but um but i'm not doing i'm having somebody else transcribe this stuff 
So anyway, and that's all done. It's all shot. It's all done. But uh, it's too daunting a task. I mean, you know, one yes. yen, two yen, a huckleberry. huckleberry. <laughs> well, what I found when I started to do all that stuff was I, if, you know, if I was doing the Hal Leonard stuff and I had to have the licks transcribed that I'm doing and then had to play them, it right. was always one of those things where it's kind of like, I, I almost had to play to the level of my ability to transcribe. You know what I mean? It's like I right. would, I would I'd keep everything within the bar line. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, I, when I'm actually doing my stuff, it's like it could be wherever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, no, it's got to be this. And then I would have all the stuff written out. And then right before the video shoot, I'd have to go and woodshed all that stuff again. Yeah. And then And then actually kind of I would do like a little demo of it so I could listen to it before I would actually play it. Because if I had to read all my own stuff, I'd be like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so a few years back, uh, Hal Leonard called me, or Cherry Lane, I think it was. And these are I, little known facts, but I did the audio for some of these books that were already written. So I did the audio for the Heavy Guitar Bible. I don't know okay, you know yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yep. Richard Daniels, I think. And um and like his stuff was notated all weird. And I had to like play that stuff, read and interpret what he was thinking. I also did one called uh, uh, Jazz for the Blues Guitarist. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. And uh, um, where I would just take people's examples and play them. And um, um, that was <laughs> interesting. <laughs> right. It's very, you kind of have to get into somebody's head and say, what were they thinking? Is that like, is that slurred? Is that a you know, is that a hammer on? Is this legato or is it you know? Right, exactly. But, uh, yeah. And how about those days when you're when you? I always talk about after shooting those days where it's really intensive. You know, it's one thing to just play and have somebody else transcribe it, but it's one of those days where you have to, you know, read something, play it right explain it, all that kind of stuff within a period of time. It's like when you're done for that day, it's like I, I, I ride home in silence. There's no radio on. Right. I don't want to hear. It's like I am so zapped. Yeah. You just come home and you're just like, I, I, I really can't even talk right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It, for, for me, it's usually the the end of the day videos that I see when like, you know, when I'm sort of like glazed over and looking like Carl Malden, you know, yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm fucking done. And that's usually the most popular video, you know, it's right. like, it's like me playing solo guitar. They're like, God, Gil sounds like shit. And I'm like, yeah, try playing eight hours and then your hands are done. You know? Exactly. It's the, the part that, you know, people don't understand, but, um, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, it, ne it never ends. This is great. I get to fetch, and uh, you know, yeah, I love it. Sorry, so, it's a New York thing. Anyway, th that's yeah. all right. Well, what else you got going on? You, what What other exciting so, things coming up? Okay, so the new yeah the new website gilparis.com with the new instructional stuff. Obviously, the new uh, GPS guitar, which right. I, I beautiful. I shot a bunch of videos with it. Now, on the new instructional videos, all the examples are shot with Reverend instruments. I used a Pete Anderson. I used it's really cool, and um, uh, and I love the way it sounds. Uh, the tones are really nice. So I have that, and then you know the big band gig coming up at Burks, and then the shows with Bernie, and yeah, yeah. Um, 
I haven't really started hitting. I, I did one hit at the cutting room, but I haven't really delved into Manhattan just yet. You know, um, I, I live about a half an hour from Midtown and um, I'm doing a lot of work up here, you know, and I run a Wednesday night. God, I got to get you to this thing because it's incredible. It's right near a Sam Ash and White Plains, New York, about 35 from Midtown. And it's a, I have different guests come in and it's like a, a kind of a jam, but all different styles. And, but the scene is really great. You know, it's like this full back line and uh, they would just eat you up, Greg. I gotta, when you're here, I gotta get you up there. Oh, I'd love to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some great guys pass through. So, and uh, well, I'll tell you what, we'd love to get out there with the trio. We're, we're long overdue for a East coast totally. run. Yeah. Totally, no doubt about it. Um, you know, maybe we can like do some clinics in between. You know, That'd be awesome. uh, yeah. Uh, Brian from Monster Music, uh, Brian Reardon. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Op opening in September, and uh, he's got a nice stage up there. We could um, we could just go demolish that. <laughs> so, yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, but that um, you know. So yeah, those are those are some things. I'm hoping that we do a Reverend Night at Nam this year. Is there going to be a Nam? I mean, like, well, that's a good question. I'm I'm hoping that is the case. Um, you know, things that are kind of scary about that stuff is that you know, <clears throat> so Nam doesn't happen last year, and it's like one of the biggest years ever for the music industry. You know what I mean? So, right. so they probably start going, hmm, maybe let's not you know, do as much stuff, but I think there still needs to be that, that get together, uh, you know, whether people need to spend the vast quantities of money, as far as the manufacturers are concerned, doing what I, they've done in the past, that will be reexamined. I'm sure. I am sure. Yeah, I'm sure. If they're seeing si significantly similar numbers without going and spending almost a million dollars for a you know, you know who we're talking about, like, yes. you know, Yamaha with their building. And, right. Know, I mean, if they're getting close to that, I could see. Yeah. Um, but that would be a damn shame because, uh, you know, we're going to start becoming isolated and weird. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you yeah. know, the, the interesting thing with with all of this stuff is, is that. Um, I know what we were referencing earlier, too, about the Internet, as much as there's all this great stuff that happens as a result of, you know, the internet in terms of it, you know, uh, getting rid of the idea of the, uh, you know, the gatekeepers, you know, what's able to be seen versus, you know, what actually gets attention and so on and so forth. You know, you have, it's an even, even playing field in some ways. I mean, regardless of, uh, right, but yes, wait, uh, uh, I got, I got to stop you there, but the, the problem with that is, and a lot of us players here that do pro work, have a, a lot of the information is faulty. I mean, that, that's I see, true. Absolutely. That, I absolutely. see channels. I, I don't want to, I don't want to mention names. <laughs> and, and I sent you something right before we did this interview where uh, I said something from my hot licks video. And then another player was doing the same exact example. I played same idea that I had gotten from Dr. John and, you know, I won't mention his name, but his video has way more traction than mine does. It's funny. It's like, it's sort of like younger people. There's an ageism thing. There's some of the information is faulty out there. Like I, would, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. There's a channel. Um, I did a gig a couple years ago 
with uh, George Porter Jr. And we did uh, meters tunes. Right, so excellent. I really said, all right, I got to learn Leo's parts. And there's lots of little subtleties in his guitar parts where, and I see channels now with guys who have a million subscribers and they're like, here's Leo's part. And I'm going, that's not it. Like they're right. saying it's, they're saying it's a sixth, but there's a third on top with the sixth and he's trilling those. There's like lots of little subtleties that are missed. So there's this almost like, uh, it's there's like misinformation. There's sort of a depth of expertise on a lot of this stuff. I mean, you I, know, I agree. I agree with you on that. I, but, not, but I'm, you. I, <laughs> not you. Well, no, but I, I'm talking about in terms of, I mean, and I agree with you on that. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, when you, you mentioned the ageism thing, there, there are certainly things where you're scratching your head. Like, why does this get, you know, 2 million hits, you know, within like two weeks versus something that's more, but that's, you know, but that is what it is. But in terms of, at least if you have some kind of way of communicating with your fans and you're able to provide a live performance to reach those people and other people that might be, you know, corralled through your various different means of doing whatever. But even so, that being a way to reach people is still not the same as the visceral thing of people being in the room with you. You can never Without replace that. Yeah. And also the experience of playing live for yourself as a musician. I mean, you know, real life experience is he trumps everything. Right. Exactly. One thing, it's one thing to play in your room to a backing track. But when you got to go out to like, you know, 500 people. Right. And you're playing and it's is the energy of the room. And yeah, absolutely. Know, yep. Yeah. And, uh, and you got to bring it. I mean, that's absolutely, you know, so it's amazing. I've heard, I've heard some internet players that I was like, well, he sounds good, you know, and then I'll go see him live or so, or I'll play, he'll do it. And I'm like, wow, that was really not what I expected. You know? Yes. But, uh, absolutely. So anyway. Ah, but what are you going to do? It's yeah. just one of those things. I mean, you know, in, in some ways it's like, it, it's always been, you know, uh, you know, my, a friend of mine back in the day used to always say, well, you know, the cream always rises to the top. I'm like, that's not true. No. <laughs> yeah. It's well, like, it's like the cheese rises to the top. Yeah. And, and yeah, if, funny. And, and sometimes, sometimes. Hey, you're yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that analogy comes by honestly. So the uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where occasionally brilliant stuff also becomes extraordinarily successful, but that's almost like a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean not to sound all dark, but let's be honest, it's the truth. It's like when you know when all these different things come together, uh, including luck, but the you know the mutual interests of a variety of powerful people and so on and so forth. It's like that's how things get foisted to uh, to levels that are you know really huge. And and sometimes the person at the center of that storm is extraordinarily gifted, and other times they just have to be good enough. And most of the time, it's the latter. And right. and that's just you know, the way it is. So when I saw you had Rick Viano uh, on here, and when he first came out, um, I contacted him and I. I sent him some videos and he was nice enough to call me. And we, I, cause I, I had to ask him, I said, why, why are you putting up all this information for free? You know, I, and, um, we had a really interesting talk. We talked for like an hour and a half and, uh, I was kind of, uh, 
bitching and moaning about the state of like, you know, there's no more budgets. And it was really nice. He said, listen, it's like you've made a living as a guitar player, you know, for the past 20 some odd years. You've had budgets and you've toured with great national acts. What are you complaining about? And he's kind of right, you know, kind of sure. made me look like, like you always think the grass is greener, but you know, it, it's not, it's, you got to diversify, do different things, you know? And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's kind of, it's fun. It's still fun. Right. You know, <laughs> Every, I'll enjoy everything I get to do. So it's, it's right. I, I never wake up and then, Oh, I've got to do a live stream today. Oh, you know, I'm like, Hey, I get to play in my own house. Or if it's like, Oh, I got a gig or I got to fly here to do that. I, I enjoy it all. And it's, it's, uh, uh, y- you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when, you know, when you address, and I'm sure you've experienced this many times, is that, you know, people have ideas of what success is. And, yeah. um, and if you don't fit within those confines, you, you know, you kind of, you know, you, you get a vibe from those folks of, well, what are you doing wrong? And, 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 uh, and I've, you know, for, for years, I've been like, you know, I am a, uh, you know, a dad of four kids. I've managed to stay married. I've managed to have a house and cars and made sure, you know, made sure that everyone eats, you know, along with, you know, being a partner in a relationship that floats and and I also been able to create music that whatever I want and been able to go all over the world and so on and so forth. So as far as I'm concerned, I don't know what they're considering a success, but the fact that I pay my mortgage every month, I mean, that to me is like, it's like I've won. So yeah, uh, I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's the matter of just, you know, not, you know, taking the bait, you know, ego wise and dysfunction wise to go along with it. Thing. Well, how come, you know what I mean? It's just, well, it's, it's human nature. You know what I mean? Look, there are some things that have become the pursuit of the unobtainable. I mean, like, let's face it. Uh, if you think about like non-singing guitar players, you think of Santana, you think of Van Halen or Jeff Beck or, you know, so these guys had deals on Columbia records for like 20 years, you know, Warner brothers, you, you know, look at Jeff Beck. It's like, but that's not going to happen again. Right. Like if you look at Lukather or Cornell Dupree or David Spinoza, they're playing on like a thousand records to that, like for double, triple scale, that's not going to happen again. Right. It's not. So that's, that's not on the docket, but you know, We've done very well, though, Greg. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have guitars named after you. You know, we get to go play. People show up. You're appreciated. They buy our products. You know, it's it's different. It's um, you know, how do I? I don't know. It is different. Uh, but I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. You know. Well, it's interesting because I, I I remember in one of these um, chats I was talking with Robbie McIntosh. Yeah. And. Um, uh, you know, I was a huge Pretenders fan, you know, and yeah. I just, I just loved Amazing. what he played. Me and, too, yeah. And especially, you know, in that period of the eighties, you know, it's like all the things that were on MTV and, you know, and it was full blown, you know, metal era. And here comes Robbie McIntosh playing a telly, a Strat and a 335, you know, yep. and play, and I just, I just dug it. And, and then he played with, uh, with Paul McCartney. And, uh, and I, I remember they played to ta- uh, came to town and they played at Milwaukee County Arena when it was still, or no, Milwaukee County Stadium when it was around. And we went there and it was glorious. I was like, wow, it's Robbie McIntosh, right? And so, you know, we just met online and when we're, you know, kind of saying nice stuff back and forth, I was just pleased as punch even knew who the hell I was. And I said, hey, right. would you want to be, you know, on this chat? And, and we're chatting. And at one point I just couldn't resist. I'm like, what's it like? 
having, you know, going to like the school function where you're there you are with your wife and your kids and you're you're mingling with the other parents at the grade school and they go, Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a musician. And they give you that look and they're like, Oh, do you play with anybody I would know? I go, Well, I play with Paul McCartney. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's and, and and he's like, well, if you're into that kind of thing, I'm like, no, I'm not into name dropping or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But how many times have you been in those situations where it's like, people hear you're a musician and they just give you that look? And then again, again, that's my dysfunction. But it would just right. to be able to, to be able to come back with, well, yeah, I play with Paul McCartney. <laughs> it would just be, yeah, so satisfying. Yeah, yeah uh, sure, <laughs> of course, that's a trump card. I did have that moment when I was signed to RCA Records. They'd be like, you know, oh, well, what label are you on? I mean, RCA, BMG. Right, you know, that's so right. So here it is. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and uh, like back then, that was that was a huge, you know, calling card. But for me, you know, I, 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 I've seen interviews where Steve Howe mentions me and uh, Larry Coriel mentioned me as an yes. influence. I mean, that's like, that means more to me than anything. I mean, right. that's, I grew up listening to these guys, you know, and the fact that I could do something that made their ears perk up is, you know, and, and you're getting that all the time, you know, as you should. Yeah. And that's, you know, it might not be monetary, but it's very satisfying. It is satisfying without a doubt. And I, and I, you know, I, I certainly, you know, it, it's, it's been coming to terms with stuff over the years, and, and, you know, and you having to be more grateful for, for all the good stuff. And because it's, yeah. you know, I, again, I have fun all the time, but I, I do remember when the, when the kids were younger, I would occasionally get a little snide, you know, cause I, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd come home after, you know, touring someplace and I'll never forget, you know, as guitar players, you know, we love Jeff Beck. Do we not? I mean, he's of like the, the king, right? Yeah. And, uh, and we did this event in, in Europe. Uh, it was a Fender thing and he was at our gig and he said some really nice stuff and it was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. And then we hung out with him the next day and so on and so forth. And, Wow. And I just and I just came away with kind of like what you're saying. It's like I don't care if anybody else knows or whatever the case may be. <laughs> I I've got that for the rest of my life. I know yeah. that that happened, right? Yeah, right. And yeah. Um, and I remember coming home and and um, you know getting back here in you know beautiful Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and um, and going over to the playground to pick up the kids from you know afternoon whatever. And one of the parents going, oh. Um, where, where have your travels taken you to lately? And I was like, oh, I was in Europe and I did this thing. Well, did you encounter any musicians that were, <laughs> you know? I was like, actually, actually, I had this really cool experience with, with Jeff Beck. And they're like, Jeff Beck, who is that? And it was just like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Just like, okay, yeah. forget it. You know, it's, wow. not, impo it's not important. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah, it's funny. That's, yeah. <laughs> the dose of humility is, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's just a guy, you know, but, you know, be that as it may. Well, yeah. listen, it's been absolutely fascinating talking with you. A pleasure as usual. I can't wait to see you again in person and hopefully do some playing and uh, stay safe out there. And let us hopefully talk very, very soon, my friend. Yes, thanks, Greg. But my pleasure. Gil, you take it easy. Have a good one. Take care. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. 
If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon. Or you'll hear me soon. <laughs>